Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. One day late in September in 2016, the family of Wayne Feller Morrison was waiting in an Adelaide courtroom for his bail hearing. He was on remand. The hearing that day was a bail application, an application for home detention while he was awaiting trial. In other words, he'd been charged, but he'd not been, his trial hadn't been heard, he'd not been found guilty. That day he didn't appear. A note was handed to the magistrate who asked the family to make inquiries about his whereabouts. They rang hospitals in Adelaide and the prison without success. A phone call from an unknown person then alerted them that he was in fact in a hospital with serious injuries following what's been described as an alleged altercation with prison officers. On the 26th of September, the family was with him when a life support machine was turned off and his life ended. In evidence to the current coronial inquiry and also an earlier parliamentary select committee, the family is told of first being uh, informed that he wasn't in that hospital and then later, as he lay in a coma, only being allowed into his room two at a time while being watched closely by uh, officers. Wayne's sister, uh, a Christian has alleged that as she anointed her brother's body with oil and prayed over him, they had to ask those guarding them to stop laughing. At the coroner's court, the family watched in the last week while footage was played, you may have seen it on television in fact, of Wayne being restrained by up to 16 prison officers and then carried face down in restraints and a spit hood and transferred to a van where he was also placed face down. Uh, An autopsy has found that he suffered hypoxic brain injury and multiple organ failure after experiencing a heart attack. Now, the counsel assisting the coroner, Anthony Crocker, um, said that uh, the death was likely to be multifactorial with possible factors including the psychological and physical stress relating to the initial aggression and subsequent restraint of Mr Morrison, restraint asphyxia, positional asphyxia, in respect of how Mr Morrison was transported in the van and asphyxia related to the spit mask. Uh, That's the end of quote from the counsel assisting the coroner. Eight prison staff, including the driver of the escort vehicle, um, accompanied him in the van. There's no footage of what happened inside that van. And the counsel assisting the inquiry has said when the van arrived at G Division, Morrison was found to be blue and unresponsive. It was a three-minute journey. This is what the counsel assisting the coroner said. Precisely what occurred in the van is unknown, as seven of the eight prison staff who accompanied Mr Morrison on the journey have declined to provide police with statements. Well, inquests are mandatory for Aboriginal deaths in custody, and it's the coroner's task now, in this hearing that's currently underway, to weigh the evidence and make such conclusions as she can. And she may also make recommendations for changes in practice and procedure, uh, as coroners have done in the past. We'll be following the, the hearings with, with interest. There's a day of evidence to come next week, I think, and then some time set aside in Decem- December if they need more time. Well, sitting with the family during the evidence, hearing this evidence and seeing the evidence uh, played out, has been Brooke Prentice, the Aboriginal Justice Spokesperson for Common Grace. Last week, she was so moved by that experience, she called people to prayer before the day's sitting, and they prayed in a small group with Wayne's sister, Latoya Oroha Hohepa. 
And next week, the second anniversary of Wayne's death on the 26th, they're asking Christians to gather again, uh, once again to pray in vigils around Australia. I spoke about the general issue of Aboriginal deaths in custody with Latoya and uh, with Brooke, and it's Brooke's voice you'll hear first. The knowledge and the reporting goes right back to 1980. Uh, and now, including in the events of the last uh, week, we're up to 510 Aboriginal deaths in custody. Uh, and so, you know, we mainly focus on uh, trying to get the recommendations embedded so that people... Um, needing medical attention when an Aboriginal um, prisoner or any prisoner asks for medical attention it is immediately given and then on the other hand uh, you've got how families are treated in these last moments um, of the people's uh, lives who are, are passing away or who have passed uh, you know, families aren't notified immediately. Um, there's one case in Melbourne uh, who was the nephew of one of our great Aboriginal Christian leaders um, who's now in their 70s. And they found out, like, third-hand uh, that their nephew had passed away in jail, in custody. Mm. And so these are not one-off situations, mm. and it touches every state and territory. Are there particular cultural lessons that we need to learn about this? There absolutely is cultural lessons to learn, but I think it's actually about uh, how Aboriginal people are treated in all aspects of society and particularly within our prison and, and court systems. Uh, you know, we're overrepresented um, in all of those areas and that's why Aboriginal deaths in custody is, is such a huge issue. Um, I mean, you know, Reconciliation Australia comes out with the reporting that um, this week... Uh, you know, one in three Aboriginal people will experience racism. Uh, that's in all levels of society. And that's still, you know, happening in Australia in 2018. Mm. And so uh, it's a big issue that we need to deal with. And for me, it's important that Christians are part of this issue. Um, that, you know, uh, our human dignity is respected and honoured and valued and, uh, you know, Aboriginal people, we haven't achieved equality in Australia in 2018. And so uh, Christians, as we are called to love all peoples, we have a special role uh, in making sure that Aboriginal peoples are loved and valued. Uh, and so we need to look at all aspects of society in how we can do better. And Latoya, what were you going to say about that? Um, as Brooke mentioned, racism in Australia is rife. Um, it's undeniable. And you've got to look at why Aboriginal people are being incarcerated compared to why non-Aboriginal people are being incarcerated and then why we die compared to why non-Aboriginal people die. Um, you know, Miss Jew in Western Australia died because she was in there for two days on things for unpaid fines. If she was, you know, had money, um, if she wasn't in a position in Western Australia in Port Hedland, which actually has had its rehabilitation program closed yes, down. Yes. Um, you know, if, if these, if she had access to facilities like sobering up units instead of mm. a prison cell that was seen to be a sobering up unit, you know, it comes down to poverty, it comes down to racism in the system, and it always comes down to the fact that this, you know, Australia was colonised. And the colonial project that established the nation of Australia that we have today is actually, was always 
purposely built so that Aboriginal people were detained. They were detained on missions and then were being detained in prisons. Um, I just, I see the connection that's so systemic and that's why I think Christian Aboriginal people and Christians in general have such a part to play because it was largely the missionaries who came here and had that idea that, you know, we were bringing, um, that they were bringing this kind of light to Aboriginal people. But, I mean, I think Christians actually can undo a lot of what's happening today against Aboriginal people, knowing that knowledge of that history. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do know what you mean. Own, there has to be an ownership over that history on, of missions. There has to be an ownership um, of, you know, what occurred and then an undoing. And, you know, th- th- yeah, Christians have a lot, mm. a big part to play in this. Um, and well, I'm a- very hopeful that, you know, collectively we can do something about it. Yes. On Open House, we're speaking with Latoya Hohepa. She's a Wiradjuri woman and the sister of Wayne Fellow Morrison. A death in custody about two years ago in Adelaide, and his death is the subject of a coronial inquiry. And Brooke Prentice is with us, the justice, Aboriginal justice spokesperson for Common Grace. Well, Brooke, you, um, you ended up sitting in the court with Latoya for some of the coronial hearings. Um, I want to take you to the moment where you were just moved to feel completely helpless, except then you realised where that help could come from. Yeah, so um, as I sat through three significant uh, witness hearings and saw footage and um, saw exhibits, uh, I just realised the hugeness of the situation. And uh, when you combine that with the knowledge of the true history and that the first prisons in Australia weren't built for any convicts, they were built to house Aboriginal peoples to remove us from our lands. And then to be sitting in a court in 2018, um, seeing a a system that's so broken uh, and... Uh, lives that uh, have been lost that can be prevented and protected. Uh, You know, um, there's probably been over 500 of these coronial inquests. Um, We're nearly at over 500 lives Mm. lost. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, we go back to the 1991 Royal Commission and those 339 recommendations where only a handful have ever been implemented. And then all the recommendations from all these coronial inquests where only a few have ever been implemented and and not fully implemented. And so I went, this system is so broken uh, and our people continue to lose their lives in this system. And so the only thing I could think to do was to pray. Mm. Uh, And so I just prayed in that court um, for witnesses to speak truth, to remember, um, to, uh, you know, just... Yeah, it's still a moment that all I did was I sat there and I prayed and I just prayed. Well, sometimes there aren't even any words, are there? You just prayed, yes. That's right. And then as you walked out, you went to the chaplain's office. You walked past the chaplain's office. You picked up the word for today. Yes. You turned to the date. What was the verse? It was um, from Philippians uh, saying he took the humble position. Uh, And the paragraph that goes with that talked about how in situations um, we're brought to our knees basically with utter dependence on Jesus. Uh, And so 
Uh, you know, I've preached all over the country about Jesus being the great healer. And in this situation and in that court, um, I just prayed for Jesus, the great healer, to heal this broken system and help to heal our land. And, uh, you know, as one individual Christian praying that prayer, I went, I need others um, to be praying this with me. Uh, and so um, I actually, that night, uh, rang around a few of my uh, Christian friends and church leaders in Adelaide and said, I need you to pray with me tomorrow outside the court, on the steps of the court, and, and just pray as every person walks up those steps um, for truth and transparency, um, for justice. Uh, and for Jesus to be in the lives of all of those people, every lawyer, the coroner, the judges, um, all the witnesses. And so they came? They did. We had um, a a group of about uh, 10 people that came with, I don't know, 12 hours notice. Uh, And, yeah, it was an amazing time um, out the front of that court. Latoya, Uh, what was that like for you? uh, It was brilliant. And it was really touching and moving to have brothers and sisters there stand in front of the court, you know, and while um, just before the court was about to commence, you know, actually calling upon God to move and the Spirit just to move in that place. And, yeah, just, you know, taking spiritual ground, like that's the thing I keep remembering with all of this, that this is not the flesh and blood, this is a spiritual battle. Calling upon God to move in that place is just so powerful and exactly what we need to do. You then prayed about your brother's death in a particular way. Mm. My middle name is Aroha, okay? So in Māori, because I'm part Māori as well, that means love. And I think um, since I was a kid, I've had Isaiah 61 upon my life about breaking chains of oppression. So it's interesting that that, this has happened in my own family, but that my middle name is love. And something as a kid, until now that I've never wanted to do, is have a bitter, hardened heart. Um, so we were praying, you know, essentially that our hearts remain soft and that our hearts remain open to, um, yeah, not holding on to bitterness that will, you know, um, make us in turn sick and unhealthy and not open to healing for our own our own lives as a family and our own lives as Aboriginal people who experience this. So for me, forgiveness is not for the other but for myself. Um, and so I've been looking at it like that. What is the advantage that I have? Um, and my advantage is in healing. My blessing does come through healing. My blessing comes mm. um, in this process by calling, you know, for um, love and grace and peace upon my life and my family's life. You know? What so, have you got to let go to uh, get to that place? Uh, I want to see a day... In, you know, I'm on Ghana land, I'm not in Australia, so I've got to say that. <laughs> um, I want to see a day where I reside that, you know, race currently as a social construct actually becomes a social construct because race right now is a system, right? And that needs to be dismantled. Oppression needs to be dismantled. Race needs to be dismantled. Um, there's so many issues that, you know, we think of, oh, well, if we just want equality, it will all just go away and, you know, we can just be blind to race right now, but we can't. It's a real system and a structure um, that has power behind it. And so I want to see a day in my life where, um, you know, race does become the social construct. And for me, I do want to see a day then that 
you know, we are united as God's people, that we are united um, as people who are free and who can receive love and, and peace. And for me, that is situated in justice. And so letting go of um, the pain and trauma of the system and, again, realising that this is, you know, this is spoken about. What's happening now in our world is spoken about in Revelation. <laughs> you know, it's coming to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I have to see it from the outside. Despite being Wayne's sister, I have to you know, keep that intact of what God has called me to. So, you know, do you have so, to forgive um, the history of um, the mistreatment of Aboriginal people? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. I don't think I do, um, because it's not my place to forgive colonisers, okay? So that's, for, for me, um, colonisation was an act against God, and God forgives that, not me. But I can actually forgive individual people who um, maybe don't know God or who do know God, and, you know, it's... It's for them to um, come to Christ, and that's what we all pray for. When I pray for forgiveness, um, I pray for God to keep my heart soft so that, you know, I want to see a day where instead of prisons, we have rehabilitation systems in our own community, yeah, yeah so that we don't create criminals. Um, so what does that mean for me? I have to keep a soft heart towards people to ensure that, um, I'm actually coming under my own moral standpoint and my own mission statement over my own life. Hmm. Does that make sense? I'm just listening to you speak, Latoya. I'm, I'm just, and I'll throw this question to Brooke. I'm, I am struck by how difficult um, ideas about forgiveness are in um, transactions that have been so complicated, so complex, perhaps for 250 something years. Wow. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, that's the reality that we live every day. And, you know, uh, as Aunty Jean Phillips says, our history is your history, your history is our history. Mm. And uh, as Christians, we need to get involved with what that history means and how that history has affected our present uh, and how... Um, just as Latoya has said, we do have to dismantle these systems um, to then see see justice uh, and to see healing and uh, to see hope. Mm. And so, uh, you know, for me, that prayer is just the the hugest thing and one of the most important things um, that we can do to come together collectively uh, and then through that prayer uh, where we wait upon um, Creator Spirit, Lord God, Papa Jesus, um, to direct our next steps, uh, the steps towards action um, that can bring justice in these uh, places and situations. Yeah, and if the cross means anything, it means that Jesus took all of that complexity with him when he made it possible for us to be reconciled when, when we were forgiven in him, which is a pretty amazing um, idea. What what are you asking the church to do next? There's a prayer vigil planned for the next day of the hearing or the second anniversary, I think, of Wayne's passing. Is that right? That's right. So uh, on Wednesday, the 26th of September, 
in every capital city, as well as uh, Alice Springs and Port Augusta as regional centres. Uh, we're holding prayer vigils uh, in every capital city. Um, most of them are at 6pm. Uh, some uh, Canberra is at 7.30pm, but the rest are all at 6pm local time. Uh, and the purpose of that is to come together to pray. As I sat in that court and thought about one of the only things I could do was to pray, um, I'm calling others, my friends, to come and pray with me. Um, this whole year through Common Grace, I've been calling people into friendship with us as Aboriginal peoples. And in this uh, situation and these injustices of Aboriginal deaths in custody, I want us to come together as friends and to pray. Uh, and that means learning about Aboriginal deaths in custody. Uh, you know, the Guardian released the last decade um, uh, deaths inside was the report yes. and there's a database where people can go and learn the stories. Yes. Uh, you know, we also think, um, you know, Royal Commission days as well. Um, this week uh, is also the 35th anniversary of the passing of 16-year-old John Pat, uh, right. who was one of the key cases in the Royal Commission. Oh. And, um, you know, 16 years old uh, is... is we're talking about children as well when we go back, um, you know, 35 years ago. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I hope that people come and attend these prayer vigils. Uh, and But we're also, through Common Grace, making it available that, you know, people can pray in their own homes too. Uh, but this is a national issue that's touched every state and territory. Uh, and we want to... Um, Honour those people as best we can and their families that, uh, you know, are still suffering grief and trauma and will for the rest of their lives um, and still many of them without any justice. Uh, and so uh, we need to come together as the church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus uh, and see um, out of this step then what's next. Well, that's Brooke Prentice. She's a Waka Waka woman. She's from Brisbane. And her friend, you heard there also, is a Wiradjuri woman, Latoya Hohepper. And Latoya is the sister of Wayne Feller Morrison, whose death in custody is the subject of a coronial inquiry at the moment. Uh, on the 26th, it's the second anniversary of Wayne's passing, and um, Brooke is calling people to prayer vigils around Australia. If you're motivated, moved to do that, then you can go to the Common Grace website and if you go to the Aboriginal Justice area, you'll find um, the dates, places, maps for the National Prayer Vigils. commongrace.org.au and on that look for the National Vigils. Do you know, um, in 1991, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody produced 339 recommendations and only a handful have actually been implemented. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.